Blog Talk Radio. Reality Radio Entertainment presents Behind the Curtain with your host, Kathy Barrett. Welcome to Behind the Curtain, a show about life and how we travel down the not-so-yellow brick road of it. I'm Kathy Barrett, and I hope you'll stay tuned because we have a wonderful show for you today. The subject of suicide is a difficult one. As someone who has personally survived the suicide of a loved one, the subject matter is very, very important to me. I lost my brother a few years ago, and it certainly left a hole in my heart, one that will never be healed. I'm not alone, though, unfortunately. Millions of people around the world share my pain. Suicide statistics have risen sharply in the world, and especially in the United States over the last 10 years. Yet, it still remains somewhat of one of the most forbidden topics for us to discuss. The Center for Disease Control and Prevention published findings just this month that indicated, and this really gave me pause, more people now die of suicide than of car accidents. A sobering fact, and one that I'm just going to throw this out there to my listeners and to anyone else that's new tuning in, and I hope you'll return, I think this is uh, an issue that we as a society have to begin to reflect on. You know, all of us are so busy, we juggle many things at one time, barely able to keep up with our own lives, and yet we absolutely need to take the time to expand our awareness outside of ourselves. Take a look at the people in your lives, your family, your friends, your neighbors, your business associates, Notice if there's any signs of hopelessness or depression, illness, if they're drinking excessively or becoming more withdrawn, and take a moment to reach out to them. And just if you yourself are hurting badly and you feel you have no place to turn, please know you are not alone. And there's places for you to go and uh, numbers for you to call to get help. The first one is the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-TALK or Samaritans at 212-673-3000. These hotlines are confidential, they're free, they're accessible 24 hours a day, so reach out because there's someone who cares on the other end of the line. Now, for those of you who have lost someone to suicide like myself, we, we live with a very unique pain. It throws one's life into an emotional tsunami. And as we begin to search for answers and reasons, we also look very deeply within ourselves, analyzing if there was something that we could have done differently, something we said, something we didn't say, anything that we could have done to change the outcome of what happened. But something that has come to my attention uh, very recently is a wonderful film by uh, two filmmakers. Uh, if you go to www.foranybodyhurting.com, Eric Lynn is a young man who lost his sister to suicide a year ago. And I really admire what he has done because he has taken the pain 
and the feelings of devastation that he experienced from his loss, and he turned it into creation. And what he and uh, Stephen Reedy, the director-writer, did is phenomenal. They uh, created this video called The Forge. It's an extremely powerful message for suicide prevention. And you can see it at the show's website at gobehindthecurtain.com or at foranybodyhurting.com. Please help me take this video viral, folks. So share it on your websites, your blogs, your Facebook pages, and let's do what we can together to spread the word about suicide prevention. Now, getting on with the show, which I am so excited about, my special guest today is Argentinian novelist, translator, essayist, and biographer, Marta Medaver Curlot. Marta is a winner of the 2004 Duncan Poetry Prize. She's also a trained psychoanalyst with a degree in literature and translation. She lectures at several psychoanalytic institutions in Buenos Aires and has translated over 30 major works from and into Spanish. Her first novel was published in 2006 and translated into English under the title Just Toss the Ashes, which will be the topic of our discussion today. Just Toss the Ashes is a story about a successful lawyer's suicide and her son's journey to understand why. I felt that Marta's book and introducing Eric Lynn's video was the perfect way to kick off the first show in a series that Behind the Curtain will be doing on suicide prevention and awareness. Marta's book captures the essence of the struggle that suicide survivors are left with quite beautifully. You can find out more about Marta Medaver and purchase her books by going to her website, which is M-A-R-T-A-M-E-R-A-J-B-E-R.com.A-R, and you can purchase her books there or at Amazon.com and PintoBooks.com. Welcome, Marta, and thank you so much for being with us on the program today. Thank you very much, Kathy, and thank you for having me there. Well, I, I also want to send out a warm welcome to anyone tuning in from Buenos Aires and also from other parts of Argentina. Uh, we do have several countries tuning in. Uh, this would be a first for us, though, from Argentina. So I welcome uh, anybody that's tuning in from your country to listen to this interview. We really appreciate it. Thank you very much. I'm sure there will be quite a number of people who will be interested in the show and will go on tuning. Oh, that's wonderful. Well, first of all, congratulations on your body of work, which is so impressive. I mean, you are just totally amazing what you have accomplished. Uh, You've written and translated over 30 books. And I was, Marta, I was especially impressed with the fact that You hold a permanent seminar on tragedy and are a guest lecturer at several prestigious psychoanalytical associations in Argentina. What inspired you to create a seminar on tragedy, and and could you describe it for us, firstly? Yes, of course. Well, um, what I discovered uh, during my my lectures, mostly, I should say, is that very few people have any any training on on tragedy. They haven't read tragedy. They haven't read the Greeks. I mean, they have no idea who um, Sophocles was, Euripides, 
uh, okay. Um, and the thing is that uh, tragedy is universal and uh, it's not a matter of the past. We still come across it. Uh, maybe the ways are different because the world has changed, but human nature has not changed at all. And um, what I thought was that a contemporary psychoanalyst might understand his patients much better if he had in mind, or she had in mind, um, these, I should say, uh, paradigms of the past. Because uh, one example that I always give is that when a woman who's been abandoned by her husband, and this is something that happened in Buenos Aires not long ago, a few months ago, uh, kills her children to spite her husband, oh. we are looking at Medea again. Yeah. Well, it's a different Medea. I mean, she's uh, dressed differently, she speaks differently, but the, the character and the feelings are exactly the same. And um, you could say the same about Elizabethan tragedy, for example, the issue of Macbeth, let's say. Mm -hmm. uh, these men that will not take responsibility for their own ambition, and then uh, everything is on the wife, right? Yeah. Um, Mrs. or Lady Macbeth supposedly was the one who pushed Macbeth to his horrible crimes, and then she finally succumbed to to him because right. he right. hated it. This is clear from the play. Um, and we still have these, uh, these ambitious men um, who somehow hide behind their wife's ambition. It's like, it's not me. She was stronger than I was. She made them <laughs> do it. Somebody made them do it. Right. Well, this is why I thought that uh, reading tragedy uh, would help with a number of contemporary problems. That is just brilliant. Really brilliant. I, I love the examples that you bring up. But in many of the books that are written today, whether it's being, you know, in fiction or nonfiction, you're right. There is a depth in understanding tragedy that is sometimes so absent in in many of the writings that I come across. So I'm I'm so thrilled to hear that you're doing the work that you're doing and inspiring uh, you know writers to to do such. And also, it's 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 in your work. I mean, that's the one thing I, I the first thing I connected to. I mean, you it's not just reading the words. I mean, there's a feeling that comes across as you write, and I, so I admire that very much and think it's great that you're doing that. What what led you to become a writer, Marta? Uh, my mother. My mother. Um, my mother was a great writer, um, a great poet. I mean, she was uh, much better than I am, and uh, not only from the point of view of quality, but from the point of view of the comprehensive field uh, that she was into because she was a poet, she was a novelist, she was a storyteller, she was a journalist, um, a number of things that I don't do because, I mean, that, that uh, prize that you mentioned, that's very really funny. That was the only poem I wrote in my life. <laughs> wow. 
and uh, okay, I hit the jackpot. <laughs> but yeah. uh, <laughs> and um, okay, when uh, there was a um, problem in the family because my my parents divorced when I was a very very little girl. Um, and my dad did not take responsibility for us. Um, I love my dad. I still love him. I mean, he's been dead a long time, but I still love him. But uh, this issue of uh, material responsibility, like supporting the family, mm-hmm. uh, was something that he didn't do. And there my mother had to make a decision. I'm not sure whether it was the right decision, but it was the one she made. So you have to accept that. Um, and that was to leave aside her literary work, that is to say her poetry, um, literature in general, to commercial literature, to write for women's magazines and the kind of journalism that paid, or at least it paid very well at the time, mm-hmm. in order to put me through school, uh, university, and so on. Um, and, um, okay, I started writing when I was very young, but um, the idea of becoming a writer came later because I did other things first. Um, is a kind of homage to my mother because I wanted to get where she hadn't been able to get because of circumstances. And in her name, my second last name, Kurlat, is her name. Oh. And, um, I wanted her name to be known, and she couldn't make it known by herself or decided not to mm-hmm. because she prioritized something else, and so I thought, okay, I will put her there, and uh, okay, she's there now. That is so beautiful. I, I, I'm so touched by that. That really is quite moving, and I'm... I'm sure your mother is tuning in today, and she's hearing all this. So um, I can see. Yeah, that's that's really beautiful, Marta, and, and you know what? I'm sure she's very proud of the body of work that you've accomplished. Now, what I also admire about you so much is that to write a book on the subject matter of suicide, which is a very difficult subject. What what led you to write about it? Um. Well, in fact, this was an argument that I had with other psychoanalysts uh, and psychiatrists um, who thought in some way that they knew everything about it, right? Yeah. Uh, that the reasons had been established in the DM4. And, uh, okay, it was either because of depression or because of a lack of serotonin is the name, this neurotransmitter that has to do with um, very high levels of depression. Mm -hmm. It's a chemical issue in the brain or because you were a drug addict um, or because you were psychotic or, okay, whatever. Um, And uh, my argument was that in the first place, there's never only one reason, and that there are a number of reasons that are not um, established in books, because uh, you cannot dissect people in general, let's say. This is individual by individual. 
And um, the argument didn't lead anywhere, and I was really angry. And then I thought, okay, what I'll do is write a book, and then they will have to chew on it if they want to. <laughs> so, okay, I wrote the book. Mm-hmm. And um, the main point in my book is, in the first place, uh, I don't judge anybody. I don't judge Sylvia, who committed suicide. Um and um, what I'm trying to show is her life and what happened to her. And that it doesn't mean that this is why she committed suicide. We really don't know because the only one who really knows is the person who cannot answer any questions anymore, that is to say the victim. Uh, but at least to trace her life, and uh, to me, the main issue was the issue of love. Um, Sylvia was not loved as a little girl. And um, my stance on this is that uh, love is not something inborn. It's that you learn to love through the love that you receive. Mm. Um, so, okay, she was not loved or not loved as much as she needed to be, um, particularly by her mother. And um, this had a terrible impact on the rest of her life because there were people who loved her later on, but she was not ready to accept this love. She didn't know how to. So she was a very lonely woman, Uh, also uh, there is something on the blurb of the book that talks about the masks that people wear. And so Sylvia was functional from the point of view of um, her career, I mean she had a bright career as a lawyer, Uh, she could work, she made the effort to love. Uh, she married someone who loved her very much. She had a child. But all these things uh, meant a terrible effort to her because she didn't have the tools to respond with love. And um, at a certain point, um, this was too much. Um, so one thing that is important, I mean, about suicide, is, in my opinion, of course, Mm-hmm. That when you see somebody who is very um, depressed and uh, withdrawn, as you said before, um, and then suddenly this person seems fine, um, and you feel relieved because you say, well, okay, she or he has overcome the moment. There is where you have to be the most careful because that relief implies that they've made the decision. Ah, yeah. Very true. So this is where you have to pay the most attention, not the least attention. Mm, That's something that I'm trying to show in the book. Well, you do a masterful job with that and also in creating the characters because the relationships between them are so realistic because they're messy. They're disconnected from each other in many ways, and yet there is profound love, as you said, at the same time. So it's this realism 
with which you write that I admire so much. And you're talking about Sylvia, the character who commits suicide. Uh, part of her note I would just like to to read a little segment of, which I really thought you zeroed in on in such an amazing way. And Sylvia's suicide note reads just in part, and uh, this is, I quote, life was an experience I would have preferred to miss. No one asked me whether I wanted to live it or not. I endured it. The only thing that made it tolerable at times was the certainty that it would end. I was never afraid of my own death. Life terrified me. Yes. Wow. I mean, when I read that, I was like, oh, my God. You know, you did such a a masterful job in not only creating realistic characters, but you just brought them to life in a way uh, for those of us in the world that have lost someone to suicide. And actually, I've, I've actually lost three people in my life to suicide. It it just it's it's a way of seeing it from different points of view. And when you pick pick up a book like this and you can connect to it and it, you know it's not someone's uh, true story but in a way it's it i think for most people that may not be able to look at their own feelings about what happened you know in terms of survivors it it's a gentle way for them to be introduced to some of the feelings that they're going through and they will connect to it and I think that's why it's such a phenomenal book, and that's why I wanted to have you on the show, because I think it's very important for anybody out there struggling to pick up the book that may not be able, may not be in touch with their feelings or may not be able to express themselves or may also be in a, in a place of kind of paralysis since uh, what happened happened. So I really, you know, had to read that because I thought it was like such a, a powerful uh, a piece. Uh, from the book. So thank you for, for that work. It's just amazing. So did you have any issues with publishers writing on this subject? What kind of response did you get as you sent it out and tried to get it out into the world? Uh, no, really, I didn't have any issues at all. Um, I wrote that book originally in Spanish. So what you have there is a, the translation. And um, when I connected with Jorge Pinto Books in the States, and we connected on a completely different matter because um, Jorge wanted me to translate something for me, and uh, it was funny because somebody in New York told him, look, there's a very good translator in Argentina. Why don't you contact her? So he asked me for a translation, and um, I told him, that I had a novel uh, that I would like to to publish. Uh, in Argentina, it is very difficult to publish. Let's say here, uh, I think, well, this is the industry in general, but um, uh, publishing houses are very interested in how fast a book will sell. Yeah. But quality is not the problem. The book may be good or bad, but mm-hmm. they are interested in... Um, selling it very quickly. So I had made a couple of attempts here, and um, everybody told me, well, look, this book is great, but it will not sell quickly, so thank you very much. And I told Jorge about this book, and he told me, look, Marta, I don't publish fiction. 
but if you want, you can send the book, I will read it, and maybe I can connect you to someone else who can publish it. And after reading the book, I received an email that started with these very words, so it's like I knew what it was going to say, like, okay, I don't publish fiction. Right. Uh, publish fiction, sorry. And um, he started like that, and then it went on in a completely unexpected way, because he said, but I will publish your book, and I will start my fiction collection with your book. Wow. So it started like that. It's like my first contact outside Argentina um, was successful, and I'm still publishing with Jorge. All my other books in Spanish and in English were published by Jorge, and he's going to publish now what I'm writing. I'm writing uh, a new novel now. Um, so I, I cannot say that I had any issues. He loved the book. And um, he published it in Spanish first, and then he had it translated. He published it in English. Um, and uh, what's incredible is that this book will never be a bestseller, obviously. But um, after so many years, because novels are very short-lived, you know that. Yes. Uh, the book is still being sold now, and there are new reviews on Amazon all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, seven years eight years after the book was published. So um, there are a number of people who are reading the book. Yes, and I like when things last for long periods of time, and I think this has a long life. I really do. I know that we have uh, uh, quite a a listener base here, and I'm sure that people will be very interested in uh, in reading this book. And, you know, there are a lot of uh, suicide survivors around the world. And uh, as I mentioned, I think this is really a, a perfect way to um, for people that are having a difficult time, especially to get back into to reading and and enjoying life. And and yet this book really opens up the door uh, to help people get connected with their feelings about suicide, especially those left behind. But I just want to say a little bit about the plot, and it would be let's hear it in your words, um, Marta, if you could just give a. a you know, a brief description of the plot of Just Toss the Ashes. Yeah, okay. Um, the book opens with Sylvia dead, so one could say that it starts at the end. But um, then it goes back uh, into her life history and um, her friends, her ex-husband, because Sylvia is divorced, um talk about her to her son because her son is the one who is trying to understand and there's a phrase that is recurrent through the book when he says I didn't know her Um, and he wonders because apparently Sylvia wanted to talk to him on different occasions but but he never had the time to listen Mm. and uh, I guess that he feels a little guilty about that and uh, so he tries other people to tell him what she was not able to tell him. And so he makes a round of her friends, her close friends, her partners, um, and his own father. And they all tell him like different bits of her life history. They talk to him about the time when she was a child, when she was a teenager, when she was a young adult, um, when she was a, a professor at university. Um, and so it's like a puzzle. He 
tries to put the pieces together, um, and he 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 feels that um, the Sylvias that these different people describe are different women. Mm. Um, and of course, this has to do with the different stages of her own life and of her own development. And um, finally, uh, he decides that, okay, that things are what they are. Uh, he's heard enough. He has a picture that is not complete, but it's enough to him. And um, there is a little twist at the end that I'm not going to talk about. <laughs> right. Um, but um, let's say that that ending that appears at the beginning, because, I mean, you think, well, okay, after somebody is dead, what else can you expect? Well, there is a twist to that that I think is interesting, and um, that uh, people, um, well, enjoy is, is not a word to use for this book, but let's say they appreciate. Um, so, well, this is the plot. I mean, it is her story, uh, and her son starting a journey sort of backwards to see um, who his mother was, because he really had no idea. Um, and this is something that happens very often, I mean, this, this issue of um, not knowing your own parents, or the other way about, I mean, not knowing your own children because you're too busy and it's, it's tomorrow, you know, let's do it tomorrow. So one thing that I would insist on is don't leave these things for tomorrow. It's today, because tomorrow may be late. All of these um, messages in the book, they're really, really powerful, um, you know, for the reader. And, and just as you said, especially when Lucas, the son, has that realization that, I didn't really know my mother. I mean, that is something that I'm sure the millions and millions of people around the world that have lost someone to suicide, that's the first reaction you have. You know, there's a shock to the system. And it's and as you look back and say, oh, but we just had this conversation and everything was okay and we did just went here and we were talking and, and I can't understand this. You know, there's so many different things that people go through, but that is one common denominator that I think you really hit the nail right on the head because you don't, you you recognize in that moment when you've lost someone that you didn't really know them at all. You really didn't know them at all. You knew bits and pieces of them, but the realization also that you lost moments, periods escaped where you were too busy or too caught up in something else and you actually, you know, missed being with this person or knowing that aspect of this person and you can't go back. You know, there's no do-overs, there's no rewind. So that's what I loved about the book so much is that not only did it have such a realism to it and not only were the characters, um, like I said, they were messy. You know, they had, they didn't have just the best relationships. You know, they were very complicated relationships, very much like what we go through in life. So the realism and uh, also the the uh, watching the impact that Sylvia's suicide has on all the other characters, I thought was brilliant. 
and you see how each person and and you know how they interpret her her death and the impact it has on them it it was just you did such a phenomenal job you really did i thought it was just so well done and and thank you for taking that argument on and creating something that can be put out in the world that i really think will help people deal with the feelings that they're going through so thank you very much uh, it was not easy to go into that that i must say uh, it was painful. It was painful to write because I've already also lost people to suicide. Not not very close. I mean, not not uh, members of my own family, but very dear friends. Um, so when that happens, we in a way feel guilty. Uh, it's not our fault, uh, and this is something we also need to understand because. It's like, very widely, broadly speaking, uh, some people commit suicide because they want to spare others the anxiety or the anguish. Mm -hmm. And I think this was the case in the book. But other people are very angry with the world in general and with some um, close uh, relatives uh, in particular. And so they commit suicide as a manner of punishment. Um, you know, uh, you must have heard this many times, like, uh, you'll be sorry one day. Yes. Uh, okay. Uh, there are some suicides that um, go in this direction, uh, like, I will punish you through my death. Mm-hmm. I mean, that means not caring about life, obviously. Right. But um, reading suicide notes, and uh, they are really interesting, very hard, but really interesting. Uh, there are lots of people, um, you can divide them like into very, into two groups. Uh, the ones who feel they are to blame for everything that happens, and so they don't want to stand in the way of others anymore, because they feel they are like a stone tied to their necks. And um, others who feel that the world has been very unfair on them, and so they think, and this is imaginary, but okay, it's what they believe, that uh, by disappearing in in this very shocking way, Mm -hmm. um, they are punishing the others. And this is what you can read in the notes. Absolutely. Well, I... I can't, again, um, urge the listeners enough to go and, and really check out Marta's website. And I'm going to um, uh, read that for you. It's M-A-R-T-A-M-E-R-A-J-B-E-R.com.ar. And, again, you can purchase all of her books, and we're going to talk about uh, what else she's working on in a second, at Amazon.com and at PintoBooks.com. And so what what else are you working on now, Marta? Uh, well, now I'm working on a novel uh, that has, okay, for the time being, it's called Men in My Mirror. Uh, and this is a novel about uh, a woman's relationships with men. Um, let's say that this woman represents a number of others, right? 
Mm-hmm. And uh, oh. again, it starts when she is um, in her late middle age, and she starts remembering uh, her relationships with men. Uh, she hasn't been happy, uh, and she's met rather um, dark characters, one might say. Uh, and the point here is to decide, and this is for the reader to decide, how much she is to blame for this and uh, how much the others are to blame for this. Because it's again a matter of choices and a matter of love. Um, so, okay, um, this is what I'm working on. Uh, developing this life, uh, she starts remembering her childhood, her relationship with her father. Um, her first boyfriend and uh, the way things went. Um, the way her parents um, somehow pushed her in, in one direction that was not the best. But the other issue is parents, and I'm a parent too, uh, parents do what they can. We also bring issues from our own childhood, as our parents did. <laughs> right. So we, we try not to make the same mistakes, but we're sure to make others. So um, it, it's also about love and forgiveness. Uh, it's like you, you cannot, as an adult, blame everything that happens to you and your parents. Uh, at a certain time, you need to grow up, become detached from that, understand that they did their best right. uh, in accordance with their possibilities because, okay, they also come from complicated childhood. I, I don't know anybody who's had, like, the great childhood. Uh, people sort of lie about that. Yes. <laughs> it's, it's very true. It's one of the masks that we tend to wear, isn't it? You know, that everything is perfect and... I'm perfect, and I had the perfect life, and everything's great, and there's no ripples, you know, and it's it's just not true, you know. No. It really isn't. It's not real. No. Okay, so this is what I'm trying to show there as well. Yeah. Uh, so uh, it goes along the lines of just off the ashes. So nobody commits suicide here. There are no, no, no suicide. But um, it is also a hard aspect of life. And the thing is that all my books deal with it dark aspects of life. And I guess that, that that's why I'll never be a bestseller, because people prefer um, not to think. Um, light entertainment, um, I don't know. I, I'm going to disagree there. I mean, maybe you haven't had a bestseller yet, but I do think there's one in your future. And I do think that there are people out there that do, you know, want to kind of get into heavier subjects, but sometimes they don't know how. If you if you're not used to exploring, and I I'm like that myself. I think we share that in common. I'm very driven to document the human spirit as it is. To me, it's the most magnificent, even in its lowest place. It's still magnificent, and I think, you know, we, we kind of have that in common. I also write, and I do feel that there is an audience out there for it, but Just Toss the Ashes, I believe, has a, a, a big, bright future ahead of it. I know my listeners are going to tune in, and um, 
and start paying attention to it. And this little show gets to go around the world, so hopefully other people will have access uh, to it as well. I want to thank you so much for coming on the show and uh, really being a trooper this week because we did try to put this on last Tuesday but had severe technical difficulties, and Marta was really extraordinary because there was a wicked storm going on in Buenos Aires at the time. And she was like sitting there and I could hear the wind howling and all this stuff happening. So it was an absolute honor to have you on the program. And I thank you so much for sharing your insights and, and beautiful writing with us today. Now, Kathy, it was my privilege. So thank you very much for inviting me. And I'm really honored, honored to be talking to you. Thank you so much, Marta. We'll be in touch. And again, folks, if you have not read one of uh, Marta Medivere's Perlot's books, you have several great ones to choose from. So check out her website, which is M-A-R-T-A-M-E-R-A-J-B-E-R.com.ar, or go to Amazon.com, PintoBooks.com, and uh, there's several uh, beautiful books for you to choose from. Thanks again, Marta, and we'll have you back on the program when you finish your next book. Thank you. Thank okay. you, Patrick. Well, I also want to remind everyone to go to www.foranybodyhurting.com or gobehindthecurtain.com where you can get that link to view the film created by Eric Lynn and Stephen uh, Reedy called The Forge. And um, one last thing I wanted to remind you of, please, if you're out there, if you're hurting, call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-TALK or Samaritans at 212-673-3000. Again, these hotlines are confidential. They're free. They're accessible 24 hours a day, so do not hesitate. Pick up the phone and call. Today, I'm going to send you all out with a song that helped me tremendously uh, when I first lost my brother. It's called 100,000 Angels. It was written and performed by Lucinda Drayton and Andy Blissett, who were formerly of the group Bliss. The album is uh, also called 100,000 Angels. You can purchase it on Amazon.com or at Lucinda's website, which is blissfulmusic.com. This is Kathy Barrett sending you a virtual hug from behind the curtain. I'm going to be off for a few weeks working on a fantastic project that I'll be sure to share with you when I return. Just remember, you are not alone out there. There's a 100,000 angels by your side.
Let me tell. 